0: welcome to the crown city podcast i'm your host james de pietro this is a show that explores the people and places that make our neighborhoods our home on this episode i have a very special guest mia maza diego and her husband mark are the proud owners of neon retro arcade located in old pasadena neon retro arcade is an old school throwback to the video arcades of our youth but with a heart and a sense of community that can only be found at a place created from people that truly care about the games and the customers that play them. As you will hear, Mia grew up in Highland Park, but went to St. Andrew's Catholic School in Pasadena and LaSalle High School before earning her degree in political science from USC. After working for the federal government, Mia and Mark came back to Southern California, and with Mark's collection of vintage arcade games outgrowing their space, the idea of Neon Retro Arcade was born. The titles you might find will certainly take you back to your childhood, with classics such as Asteroids, Donkey Kong, Frogger, and Pac-Man. Pinball games are also featured, with themes such as Star Trek, Chris Pine, not William Shatner, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and even newcomers such as Stranger Things. But from my conversation with Mia, you will really understand that Neon Retro Arcade is about not only playing the games, but experiencing them. They took their passion and turned it into a destination of fun and nostalgia. Mia believes so much in the area that she now serves on the board of directors of the Old Pasadena Management District, the nonprofit business organization that manages Old Pasadena. And she is currently the creative force that manages its social media accounts. When COVID forced lockdowns last spring, it had a devastating impact on their business. But Mia and Mark have made it through and are now planning to reopen on June 18th following some renovations that I'm excited to see. I really enjoyed this episode because you can tell how much the Arcade, Pasadena and their customers mean to Mia. From a hobby, they created a thriving business through creativity and determination and their story and success should serve as lessons to us all. But before we get started, when listening back through the episode, I mentioned several of the great retail areas in our city. However, I was remiss to not include the Lincoln Corridor in Washington Boulevard. These are two important areas that make Pasadena such a unique place. And I wanted to make sure that I gave them the recognition they truly deserve. So without further delay, my conversation with Neon Retro Arcade's Mia Mazadiego. Mia, thank you so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: So before we jump into talking about Neon Retro Arcade and your work with the old Pasadena Management District, can you tell us a little bit more about your background as you are from the Pasadena area?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually grew up in Highland Park, you know, just outside right literally on the border of Highland Park in Pasadena. Back when I was growing up, Highland Park, you know, was not what it is now. Um, I've not built out as much. Um, so my family and I just spent most of our um, times whenever we went out to a restaurant or, you know, went to parks or whatnot, libraries, it was always in Pasadena. And in junior high, you started going to a school uh, right at St. Andrews, right in the Pasadena area, um, not far from Old Town. And And basically just I think from then on I had a really big connection to the area um went to high school at La Salle, right in uh basically on the border of Pasadena and Sierra Madre and graduated from there went to USC uh graduated in 2002 and moved to DC so that was like my first time away from the Southern California area and it was uh, an interesting experience it was learned a lot but never ever felt like home to me um as much as as cool as it is as much as there is going on there there was definitely something lacking and uh I definitely missed home right from the start for sure.
0: So you're a small business owner and very involved in the community. Who were your early influences that really kind of helped shape your values and your interests?
1: I think more than anyone, I would say it'd probably be my father. Um, he has a very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset and just has always uh, instilled in me, I think, the desire to own my own business, even though I think for a while it kind of hung out in the background while well, I graduated from college. And uh, I graduated right after 9-11. So I went to work for the federal government in DC. And it was just kind of like a natural transition. I think at that time, that's that's who was hiring. So that's how I ended up out that way. I was a political science major. So that kind of pushed me there. But even though I established my career with the government and, you know, was working for others for quite a while, I just knew in the back of my mind that I always wanted to start something of my own. And I know for sure that a big part of that came from my father But I think also from my husband, he and I had, Mark is my husband, uh, he's the co-owner of uh, Neon Retro Arcade, and he and I have been together, gosh, since 2003, and we got married in 2008, but, like, we just always, we're the kind of people who always kind of had in the back of their mind, like what could we do? Like what kind of business, like for fun, you know, what kind of business would you like to own? Um, Could it be an ice cream shop? Like we were thinking about artisan ice cream because he's really good at that. You know, what about a restaurant? What about, we just always had it in the back of our mind that we would do this someday. And I think we had enough talking about it that, you know, when we kind of hit a point in our careers where we just felt like we want to get back to LA and Pasadena, like how can we, How can we make that happen? Um, We knew that wouldn't be possible long term with the government. So we just decided to try it out and, you know, get out on our own and figure out if there was something that we could do, you know, together, build something together. He had basically been collecting arcade games, which sounds really weird. um, But he was collecting arcade games for fun on the weekends, he would find them really just distressed and destroyed. And like, You know, was really saddened by the fact that these games from our youth, the 80s and the 90s, were just being tossed aside um, and not really being preserved in any way, in any meaningful way that he had seen. So he was like, you know, I'm just going to pick one up restore it on the weekend, see if I can make it play again and, you know, just have fun with it. He did that. And then he did it again <laughs> with another game. And it just that kept replicating over and over again until we had about 50 games uh, in our garage, in our carport, in storage spaces. I mean, it was just kind of getting ridiculous. And I'm like, all right, we got to figure something out here. And that's kind of when all of those things sort of came together where it was like, well, we've always wanted to start a business. We've never really felt like there was the right one for us to start. And it was just like, this seems like the right time. Like, all right. So around that time, it was like 2013, 2014. Um, retro gaming wasn't really like, I think, well-known at that time. I think it was kind of right on the precipice of starting to be well-known again. And, you know, it was just something we felt like was the right time. We're in, we have all these games you know, let's find a space where we can put them that's modern and clean and cool and like invite the public to come and check it out. This was like kind of a two-parter for us. We, we felt it could be a good business, but we also felt like it would be a great way to preserve these games by introducing them to a new generation, you know, where people our age would bring their kids to kind of introduce their youth to them and possibly, you know, enjoy something together. Um, And that was kind of the heart of of what we wanted to accomplish, you know, kind of keep the games alive by getting them played um, and getting kids to fall in love with them again. And I think that was really the, I think the true heart behind uh, this project altogether. And um, I'm happy to say it's been successful. I think it's really cool to see parents and kids come together in modern times, you know, when there's so many other distractions, YouTube, cell phones, you know, people are doing all the social media, doing all these other things, um, but they can come together and do something so simple and fun and have a great time together.
0: So the, the legend has it that you met Mark over a pinball version of Street Fighter 2. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Um, well, we actually had met before, prior to that, but I would say that's how we really connected. Um, so we had like a mutual friend at USC. My best friend was m- now is was my roommate then at the time, and she was friends with Mark, um, and they were both at USC Film School. And we had met like a couple of times, maybe you know, not really had any significant conversations or whatnot. But we ended up at this party that um, was really more of like a family gathering that his friend was having to celebrate the milestone at school and. You know, Mark and I found that we were really two of the only young people there. <laughs> so he, you know, was kind of trying to make me feel more comfortable, was like, hey, can I show you how to play this pinball machine? And I had grown up going to arcades and loving pinball and loving, you know, arcade games like every other kid who grew up in the eighties and nineties. And um, I hadn't done it in a really long time and was like, sure, you know, so we kind of bonded over that, playing that game. And it is kind of I think appropriate that we've started this venture together when that's really how the sparks initially flew was over a pinball machine. So I guess it was kind of destined that we would eventually be doing something like this.
0: (laughs) Very nice. When you were in the early stages of starting the business, what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you get through them?
1: Well, I think, um, gosh, there were so many challenges and it it was a good bit ago. It was almost seven years ago now that we just, you know, got started out on this venture, but it does still feel very clear, um, you know, even though we kind of went into it with, a business plan. Like, you know, we had a very clear idea of how this could be a business that would be financially successful. Um, There was just really no opportunity to rent a space for the type of business that we wanted to do. Like, it wasn't clear to us when we kind of thought of the idea, but as we began our research into what would it take to actually open a space like Neon, you know, we were obviously looking at what it would take to rent a um, location to do that. And beyond just being obviously really expensive to be to rent a commercial property in the Los Angeles area, we found that basically no one wanted to have an arcade in their neighborhood. Um, we looked at a lot of places around Los Angeles and... Um, the thing that's really funny is before we even conceived of the idea, um, the first time that I took Mark to Old Pass, like he was really just fell in love with the area. And we saw this building, uh, which is the Vandervoort building. It's the building that we're actually located in now. And we saw this open space. And he's like, that seems like it'd be a really cool space for a business. And this was before we even thought of the arcade. This was like years before, maybe two or three years before. So again, we've had these little moments of like destiny along the way where even before we had conceived the thought of opening neon we randomly saw this commercial property that we thought was really cool and then you know years later later when we were starting to try to find a space for it that space had just been rented out to someone else so even though we were like that was our first place to look was old pasadena i was like oh the space that we wanted looks like somebody else got it but let's keep looking the other spots that we went to were just like not interested in the concept didn't even take our calls or emails, didn't respond. They didn't care who we were or that we had this actual plan that could work. They just knew they didn't want an arcade in the area. Um, There's actually a lot of zoning laws in place that make it difficult to open these types of businesses now because of, I think, troubles that, you know, some arcades may have caused back in uh, their heyday. But yeah, it was really something that was very difficult to find a landlord even willing to talk to us. And I think as fate would have it, We just happened to see um, a for lease sign go up in another space located within the same building that we're in now. That was just a couple uh, couple spaces down from where we originally noticed that one cool space a lot of years ago, and you know, put in an offer. And the landlord was actually really cool. Like her um, real estate agent actually was interested in the idea. He kind of loved that it really focused on history. um, And I think he's a bit of a history buff. So that kind of helped. And he just took a chance to meet us in person, like listen to our business plan, hear our pitch, meet us and see, uh, get to see what we were like. And, he presented the idea to the landlord who thought it would be really cool. And we just got really, really lucky. And I think that's really where our kind of connection to Pasadena as a business really started was it was the place that was willing to give us a chance to like look beyond just the, the actual business type that we were and see who we were as people and what we could bring to the community and to their, um, you know, part of the block, which they felt needed a little revitalization. And I thought that was really cool that they actually took the time to meet us and, um, invest in us as people which was cool
0: so from the very beginning you've used social media to help promote the arcade and we're invited to join the facebook small business council which is a networking organization that helps educate other businesses on how to leverage the platform so how effective has facebook instagram etc been in helping the business and what role do you see it playing going forward
1: I know I've talked a lot about um, destiny throughout this podcast so far, and it sounds kind of cheesy, but I really do feel like there are some times in, in life when just all of the cards kind of just come together to really land in your favor. And I think that Facebook and Instagram kind of taking off as a place where small businesses could advertise was really something that worked in our favor. We just happened to kind of get some instruction about it from, I want to say, like a free meeting we took with like the small business uh, administration, just to get some kind of like information on like starting a business for the first time, because it was obviously something neither of us had done. And it was literally like a five minute comment that someone had made, like, oh, you should look in, if you know, you don't have a big marketing budget, maybe you should look into Facebook. I think they're starting to do advertising for small businesses. And I, I think it's kind of easy to learn. He didn't really know much about. It, but he just sort of mentioned it to me, and I was like, "Sure, let me take a look at it." And um, at the time, I mean, it was again 2014 or so. I don't know when exactly they started doing that for small businesses, but I know it was pretty new because not very many people were aware of it um, or how you could really leverage it with a small budget to really get in front of a lot of people. So, like, the very first Facebook ad I ever ran was for like our grand opening, and I was like kind of skeptical about using it all at all, and literally uh, spent a $50, big whopping $50 to place an ad about our grand opening. And like it reached something like 50,000 people in just a couple of days. I think it was boosted a little bit by the fact that like people were interested in seeing this business come to life. But like that from that point, it was really interesting to me how many people were coming in because they'd seen that Facebook ad about our opening. And, uh, you know, that combined with just kind of some general, I I think, interest. um, We got some really lucky breaks with, you know, just free press and whatnot. Um, that kind of got us on the radar of a lot of people Um, when we started opening up. It really has been something that I think transformed our business right from the beginning because it is something that, you can really do with a small budget. It takes a little bit of creativity, especially nowadays, now that every business is on Facebook um, and Instagram. Um, So there's a lot more competition, but I think it like kind of starting it out. So early on in the process kind of has helped us just keep up to date with all of the changes and how things, you know, trends and how consumers view, um, you know, kind of content from businesses and how you can really tell your story about who you are and what your business is on social media. So like, I think with all of the kind of negative things that social media has kind of brought to our society, and there's just no way around that that it has, I think there is a lot of good for businesses like ours, which are really niche and small. And um, you we know, had to find a way to get in touch with the pe- the right people who wanted to, to come and visit. So I think that has really been a huge part of our success is really like getting in on that early learning it, staying on top of it, and really focusing a lot of our effort in our roles. Mark does a lot of the technical parts of the arc. He deals with a lot of the technical parts of the arcade, acquiring games. And, you know, he's the big, you know, game history buff. He's really the the video gamer of, of the business, but I really handle marketing. And I would say like a good 75% of my job is really dealing with, you know, social media, creating content, Engaging with our community and really building, you know, who we are as a business online in a transparent way, so that people can get to know who we are as people and really invest in our business beyond just, you know, I'd like to purchase an hour to play games and never see you guys again. No, I know who you guys are. I've followed you from the beginning, and you know, I've brought my kids since they were little to your arcade, and we've played together and had a great time, and have built all these great memories together. So I think we've been really lucky that that's kind of where. We started with our marketing and advertising and it's it's benefited us in a huge way for sure
0: gaming has changed so much since in the last thirty years since a lot of these games were first put out on the market at a time when a lot of our games are now played on our phones and sophisticated systems like Xbox or PlayStation you know what do you think is the primary attraction now to an authentic classic arcade
1: um, I really think Ultimately, it comes down to the social gaming experience, which is something that's really unique given this year of, you know, basically no social contact that many of us have had. I think that. It's really interesting to see kids who, you know, have no connection to these games really prior to coming to the arcade, or maybe some, you know, old games that they see in their parents, like, you know, old toys or whatnot. But really, these kids who have no connection to it come to the arcade. They have access to systems like, let's say, for instance, the Wii U or, or the Nintendo Switch. Um, they have them at home. Their parents are like, they have that game in their room. They can play it any time that they want. But for whatever whatever reason, they really want to come and play here. And what Mark and I have found is it really comes down to the fact that they get to play with other people in like this face to face way that just doesn't happen as much, um, you know, with games nowadays, you know, they'll have we'll have two similar age kids who show up at the arcade at the same time, they don't know each other at all, they end up playing together and like leaving and coming back the following weekend at the same time and playing again together. And I just think it's so cool to see like friendships form in that way. And it really comes down to just that socialization around gaming that takes place in an arcade that just doesn't always have the ability to happen at home. You can play online, but there is just some kind of like, I think, level of kind of, I would say maybe more civility that takes place if you're playing someone face to face or if you're trash talking, you can't go too hard because you're, you know, literally facing your opponent. It. And I think that's kind of a cool dynamic um, around the arcade. And I think for adults, it really comes down to just, of course, um, the simplicity of the time when they were growing up. Um, Obviously, we all know that in the 80s and 90s, these times were far from simple, but it felt really simple because we were all going through, you know, kind of adolescence when we were shielded from some of the things of the world that you just now can't escape. And I think that the simplicity of just having a game that you know really brings back nice memories or you know it's just a very black and white you know I can figure this out I know what to do it's not too complicated it won't take me you know days on end to accomplish my goal in this game it's very simple so I think that's the appeal for adults and you know obviously reliving your youth is a great appeal to many people so I see a lot of that as well but I think that's a lot of the reason why it is successful um because even though it may not be kind of up to date with like technology it just does that nostalgia factor you know for many adults and certainly that social like gaming that comes for you know younger kids who play at the arcade is is really important to to people they need that kind of connection and 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 they really kind of crave it you know
0: we're around the same age and i think the difference now from kind of when we were growing up is that like you were saying two kids could come in and start playing a game next to each other that have never met before and when we were kids, we would never see that kid again. But now, you know, if there are two kids next to each other, they probably have phones, they share information, and they can kind of coordinate and, and, and schedule that time to come back. So I think in that sense, the arcade of today is a little bit more connected than it was.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had never thought of that before, but you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, obviously they are coordinating a way to come back and, you know, hang out together and stuff. And I, I think you're right. Like they do have phones. They do, they can make those connections and like, uh, you know, follow through with them and say, Hey, like that was fun playing with that kid. Let me, let's meet up again next weekend at the arcade, which is really cool. And I honestly, i never thought of that before, but you're right. Absolutely.
0: Well, I was thinking about kind of the classic arcades and it reminded me of we took my grandmother to, to see some family, and she was probably in her eighties. And they had a pinball machine, and I had never thought that my grandmother would have known how to play pinball, but I remember her playing for hours. So I think there's a there's an appeal for both the very young and the very old, and so I think that's that's the very cool thing about neon.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Like we definitely have grandparents who bring in. Um their grandkids and we absolutely have people of all ages playing you right definitely pinball is i think a huge appeal to people who are in an older demographic because it is something that they've seen before they understand it it's very mechanical it's like you can look at it and see what the point of it is and i think easy to figure out or you know there are people who did you know whether it was the 70s or 80s like you know, came in contact with the pinball machine and enjoyed it. So I think you're right. That's, that is a really cool thing. Uh, we do have guests of all ages from, I think as young as I want to say three, which is amazing to me. I don't have children. So sometimes I'm amazed by how, technolo- how technologically connected <laughs> little kids are and can figure things out. Um, I think the cutest thing I ever saw was when um, a three-year-old came up to the... It was like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game, and he started tapping the screen <laughs> to make it start, which I thought was adorable because he thought it was like some sort of swipe, sc- swipe screen game um, or something like that. It was the cutest thing ever. But, you know, there's two buttons. It's a joystick. It's really not that complicated. And even if he doesn't have all the strategy down uh, by the end of his first game, he has fun. And I think that little button mashing, like, access to little kids is, is a great, uh, is a great thing. And so, yeah, from three to, you know, people in their eighties, maybe even nineties, like you could really enjoy that kind of stuff. And I think that's cool.
0: It is cool. In March of last year, you had to close your arcades. You had, you had the one in Pasadena and then you had one in Northridge. Neon not only offers customers games, but like you said, it's really kind of the experience of playing around each other. You know, in, in July, you started a GoFundMe campaign to raise about $10,000. And to date, you've received more than 19000 to support the Arcade with more than 420 donors, which is pretty amazing. At this incredibly challenging period and dark period, is there any kind of sense of appreciation because you received this tremendous amount of support from the community and your customers?
1: Absolutely. And I think um, that was something that Absolutely kept us going as we were really hitting a very, very, very dark time um, for our business and for our life, truly. Um, You know, my husband and I do this full time prior to the pandemic. We did this full time because we just knew that it really was going to take all of our abilities um, to really make it what we wanted it to be. And it was like our livelihood was on the line, our business was on the line, our employees. um, There was just so much going on, so much uncertainty in the world. You know, we did have some, I think, I want to say, maybe loan programs that were rolling out early, maybe a couple months after the pandemic started or whatnot. But it wasn't to the level that it is now. And it was a really scary time. We were like, we have enough money for, you know, rent for two locations for like a month or two. At this point, this was like a few months in and that's it. Like we got nothing else. Like we have nothing more to give at this point. You know, we are dwindling down our sa- our life savings because we had to invest in it um, fully ourselves. We didn't have any loans or debts going into uh, the pandemic. And we just didn't have any other way to keep it going. And we were like, let's see if the community can just rally and help us out with these couple of months just to kind of get through the next phase to fig- give us a little more time to like figure out what we were going to do. And it was... Definitely something we debated for a while because we just are a business and we knew that there was a lot of, you know, very worthy causes that people could be donating to and didn't want to take away from that at all. But we also felt like people are asking if there's ways that they can support us beyond buying a T-shirt or buying a, you know, Um, baseball cap, which, you know, they know, isn't going to do that much to help the business stay open. And maybe if they're asking, we can just put ourselves out there and see if they're willing to, um, to contribute to like help keep this going a little bit longer. And we thought, you know, maybe we get some, um, some success with it. Um, But it's, you know, It's COVID time. Like, people are worried about their own jobs. Like, how can we ask them to do this? When we posted the GoFundMe, uh, within 10 hours, it had raised $10,000. And I can think of very few, like, really proud moments in my life where I felt like what we were doing meant something to people. And um, I think that seeing that type of response to our need, our request for help, made us realize how special that was, like, it's a special place to us for sure. But it made us realize how special it was to other people as well. And it kept us going when you know, we really were about to quit. It was just like, how much longer can we keep seeing all of our life savings just dwindle away. But it gave us that kind of lit that fire that was like, there is a purpose for us keeping this going. It's not for nothing. Let's figure it out. Let's get together and be creative. And figure out a way that we can make this happen um, because we didn't want to disappoint our community. And so when we saw that they were willing to put their own money on the line to say like, this is a special place. We want to keep it open. It really kind of snapped us out of that dark place that we were in and helped us figure out a way forward, um, get a little more creative with our landlords. At least we attempted to do that. Um, But we, you know, we did get some, some help um, from our landlord's, In like kind of finding that way forward and it just made us be more creative, figure out a way to make it happen. And we are forever grateful for that. We really didn't expect it, Um, but you're absolutely right. Like the appreciation for that type of um, assistance at a time when we really desperately needed it to just hang on a little bit longer. It really made all the difference for us. And uh, I don't think that we would be here today if... They hadn't have shown us that type of generosity and um, just sort of love for what we, what we do. And uh, we will forever be grateful for that absolutely.
0: Well, I know it's a very personal story, and thank you very much for sharing it. You know you mentioned that you got some some support from your landlord and you know I think we're all aware of programs like the PPP that kind of came out you know in, in the spring of last year. Do you think that there were enough programs or did you feel like you got enough support um, to kind of keep the business going?
1: It's, that's a complicated question only because it's like a yes and a no. Like I do feel that early on, um, it, it, I think rationally speaking, it was going to take a lot of time for, you know, the government to kind of figure out a way to help all the businesses that they were, you know, shutting down and completely, you know, preventing them from creating any sorts of, any sort of income. I think for businesses like ours in particular, where it was just like, obviously You know, there is no way that a arcade is going to be considered essential. You know, it's indoors. It's you know a place where people gather. It's you know at the time you know people thought touching you know surfaces was going to be a really dangerous part of you know kind of maybe it was a detriment to public health or whatnot. So like it made sense that they were going to close businesses like ours down. But you know, we heard in March 2020 this would be for two weeks and. That seemed okay like you know we can figure that out two weeks is no problem. Well, you know, come to <laughs> where we May of 2021 and we were still closed. I mean, that was just like, you know, I think that there was there's no government program that's going to be able to help you like overcome that type of loss of income and, you know, that type of the that debt that you're, you know, going to incur to your landlords or whatnot. And I guess kind of that was the difficult part is because, again, as a rational person, I understand the landlord is in a business as well. Um, you know, a lot of them have mortgages, a lot of them have responsibilities and whatnot. But I think the thing that could have been more helpful would have been, you know, obviously, if you're going to shut down our business, then there has to be some sort of way to like legislate, okay, well, like, how does the landlord's business, um, you know, also get assistance? Or how can they, you know, sort of be obligated to work with the, um, you know, with the tenants to kind of find a way forward. And I think that was really a difficult part, at least what I've seen from fellow business owners is that, you know, some landlords were really, really great and willing to, um, you know, kind of find a way forward as we were very lucky with our Pasadena landlord that she was, you know, willing to do that. And that she was willing to continue the investment in us as people and know like, hey, they've been great tenants for six years. We haven't had any issues with them. You know, let's continue that relationship forward. But there were other landlords who absolutely did not want to make any concessions, you owe me rent in full, you owe it to me, you know, at the um, time that we agreed upon in your lease, um, or else you're going to start incurring fees on top of that. And there's just no working uh, a plan forward other than how are you going to pay me back the full amount you owe me. And that's just something that I think is like, well, how can my business be affected and shut down? And there's no problem with that. But then his business, the other land, the landlord's business, is totally fine and he can you know he can take me to court to pay that full amount. You know, um, obviously, I'm getting into topics that are way more personal and, and unnecessary for the for, for the point of this podcast. But that was something that obviously is very is very difficult. And I think that you have all the government programs, which were definitely helpful, and certainly as time has gone on, they've become more helpful with like the second round of PPP loans and the EIDL programs and the grants that are available. And we've done all of those things. I know many small business owners have done all of those things, but it is going to be a hard Thing to come back to when you know you have many landlords who do expect to be paid in full at some point um, when you've lost a year of sales for businesses like ours that were closed the entire pandemic that is just something like how do you come back from that and that's something that I think um, is going to be a difficult thing to figure out as we move forward for many businesses.
0: What do you think as a small business owner we need to do to bring more people back and attract businesses to Pasadena now that the restrictions? have been uh, removed, and uh, we're seeing a lot more activity in Old Pasadena and in Southern California in general.
1: Definitely. Well, I think the kind of most imminent step is definitely continuing, um, you know, vaccinations on, you know, as like kind of far and wide as we possibly can. I think that the city of Pasadena has done a, a great job of um, kind of making residents, um, aware of, you know, how they can get their vaccine, vaccines, you know, making sure that they are giving information about them, you know, giving updates to the community about kind of where we are at with, you know, how many, uh, what percentage of the population has gotten vaccinations and whatnot. And I think as that increases, certainly the safety and ability to get out into public, um, in a way that you're more confident is certainly going to help. Uh, and I think we are seeing that. I think that, you know, Mother's Day, if it's any, uh, that's, At the time of this recording, that was, you know, just just last weekend. It's something that is really great to see when people are out and about and taking advantage of um, all of the alfresco dining options that are available um, throughout the city. Um, When you see people kind of taking advantage of the fact that Pasadena does have a lot of, you know, just outdoor people watching opportunities, you don't have to be inside and, you know, cooped up uh, at this point in the, you know, uh, in time, you can go out in a safe way, in a safe manner. Um, Certainly encouraging people to continue wearing masks, I think is also helpful. I know that, um, you know, there are some people who just would feel more comfortable that we continue doing that for a little while longer. And we, you know, I have heard comments from people saying that when they don't see people wearing them in the area that that makes them not want to come out and spend time there. So I think as we, you know, as a community continue those kind of big things um, for public health. I think that really helps businesses in a lot of ways, because it makes people feel more confident in coming out and uh, spending time in our thriving districts Districts at this point. Uh, you know, we are coming out of a year of spending a lot of time isolated and indoors. There is bound to be um, some sense of, you know, just sort of a little bit of trepidation in coming out into large groups again, and I think that the more steps we take towards safety and kind of helping people feel more comfortable, that's going to benefit businesses in the area as well. So, as a business owner, that's something that I see is 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 extremely important to getting people to get back into the district and or into our community in Pasadena, and just in you know enjoying everything that we have to offer. Um, so, I think that's really great. Um, And I think also just as, again, a consumer, one of the things that I see is just You know, obviously a lot of small business owners have had difficulty throughout the pandemic with um, certainly with staffing, um, you know, certainly with being able to like, you know, keep their doors open in the same capacity as they were prior to the pandemic. And a lot of them had to make, you know, cuts to, you know, their hours, to their staffs, to their menus, like to the offerings that they had. And I think that, um, you know, now that we are seeing more people get back out into Public, um, you know, being able to kind of work towards staffing up to the appropriate levels to, you know, be able to offer more hours, to be uh, available and open when your customers want to, you know, frequent your business is something that's going to be really important because I think that, you know, again, as a consumer, I do, there is that level of, you know, people have varying hours and times and days and whatnot. And it, it can be difficult to navigate that sometimes. So I think as business owners are able to get back to, Um, they're normal. um, And I know that's a challenge, but as they work towards that, we are going to be able to see more activity because you'll be giving people like a reason to come out and to do things. And I think that's something that will definitely be really helpful to the community as a whole. So um, that's kind of just my personal observation about it.
0: Community seems really important to you. You've talked about it a lot. You know, you're a director of the Old Passing and Management District, and are involved in the marketing and social media for the nonprofit that manages Old Pasadena, which many people don't really realize there is one. There's the Old Pasadena Property Management Improvement District, which is a PBID. So why did you think it was important to get involved with the Old Pasadena Management District? And then how has your involvement and role evolved over your time there?
1: Absolutely. Well, um, I think being a member of the board of directors of Old Pasadena was something that To be honest, did kind of fall in my lap a little bit. And I think it happened because, um, you know, I was active in, you know, participating in some of the, they do provide a lot of opportunities for the community in general, whether they be stakeholders like property owners or business owners or just, you know, residents to attend meetings that really shape a lot of the decisions that they make, um, in terms of, you know, how old Pasfena is run, um, how it's marketed, and they make these meetings available to the public. And, um, you know, they market them very much to business owners. And I think I was one of those business owners that took the time to attend them and to, you know, get to know the people who were uh, running the organization and, and just kind of you know, really just get involved in, in terms of like, what's going on? And, you know, how can I help? Well, you know, how can my feedback help them make their decisions, you know, in a way that helps us as a whole a lot better. And I think that that kind of participation did, you know, put me on their radar as someone who did, you know, potentially wanted to participate on the board. And, and they're right, when I was faced with that opportunity, I was like, you know, this sounds like an even better way to, you know, participate in, in hear about the decisions that are being made and, you know, provide feedback. And, you know, I think that, you know, being able to sit on a board of uh, property owners, business owners, residents, and just being able to provide my outlook on something um, as a business owner, um, as a person who spends a lot of time in the district, I just felt like that was a great opportunity because, you know, it's easy to criticize, you know, what decisions are made and how things are done. But, you know, obviously there are actual people who have to um, deal with all of the big issues and come up with ways to um, find you know solutions to problems. And it's easy to say there's a problem; it's a lot more difficult to come up with a solution. So I feel like you know being part of that is something that I um, take a lot of pride in, and you know definitely appreciate that you know my feedback is you know is heard and is considered. Um, so yeah, so that was really the big part of it for me is like you know let's let's be a part of the solution as opposed to just Pointing out all the problems, how can I? How can I help? You know,
0: Old Pasadena does a really good job with your your social media. In terms of just watching the the stories on Instagram, I think you paint a really good picture of the district. With your background in social media, what if you brought? What kind of different ideas have you brought to the board of directors? You, you talked about it a little bit, but if you can kind of expand on that a little bit, I'd be interested in hearing.
1: Let me take it one step back. So my role on the board of directors for Old Pasadena um, is one that is great because you know we attend meetings monthly and kind of get to hear about bigger policy issues that are being decided. But I actually have I think a lot more experience really with kind of a smaller subcommittee, which is their like marketing subcommittee. Um, and it was really more as a business owner that I got involved in, just kind of hearing um, about like the kind of promotions that Old Pasadena was going to be coming up with. You know, for the coming month or year, um, you know they plan ahead obviously. And I think that just kind of that sort of interaction was really what put me on uh, their radar as someone who, you know, was definitely um, familiar with social media and who had a lot of ideas about how um, marketing, you know, is really, has really changed a lot, I would say, in the last several years and how it can be used to bring attention, uh, to a district like ours, which is obviously very thriving. It has hundreds of businesses. There's always a lot going on. Um, but you know, I never really had a significant role with their social media content until the pandemic. Um, you know, some, Positions were available during that time where, um, you know, they needed some help with the social media uh, marketing. And because of that role that I had played in just as a business owner participating in their marketing committee, um, they asked if I had the availability and time to help out and Obviously, during the pandemic, I had a good bit of time, and it was actually a really saving grace to be able to have that opportunity to work with them. A because it gave me, you know, some income that I really needed um, to help. You know, because the business was on hold, um, the arcade was still closed, and this was around October of 2020. Um, we were going into the holiday season. I was actually, you know had plenty of time available. And I knew that the district was going into a very busy time um, with, you know, the holidays coming up, there was going to be a lot of need for um, us to have a huge social media presence. And with a vacancy in that department, it just felt like that was Definitely a place that I could jump in and help. And um, I say it was a saving grace, because it gave me the opportunity to focus my attention on something that I was good at, um, on something that was helping local businesses. And it really gave me the opportunity to quote unquote pivot, basically, because I, you know, didn't have a lot going on with the arcade still being closed. Obviously, in the middle of the pandemic, it's hard to find an opportunity for somebody whose last five years was spent running an arcade. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily help on the resume too much. Um, and this was just like the perfect way to take skills that I had and apply it to my community. Um, and I wish I had thought thought of it sooner. But I think, like I said, the opportunity really only came up because there was a vacancy in the marketing uh, department there. So I was able to step in. And I think it really helped out the fact that I just know the district really well as a business owner. And, and obviously as a stakeholder um, in general. And it was just basically a really good just synergy to kind of take over that um, role of managing their social media Um accounts, and just be able to showcase the district in a new way. And I think one of the really great decisions that Old Pasadena made during the pandemic was instead of stepping back and just being quiet and like letting people, you know, kind of forget about us, they really ramped things up. And we're like, let's make sure people don't forget about us. Let's make sure we're supporting all of the businesses that are essential in our district and that are risking their lives to be here. And, you know, support our community and to be able to service our community. And let's make sure we help them uh, stay around past the pandemic and for years to come. And those were things that, you know, the old Pasadena management group was really, really took, they took very seriously. And obviously, as a result, I took it very seriously when I was taking over the social media accounts to just make sure that, We were doing everything possible to support our struggling businesses, to make sure that the district was staying at the front of everyone's mind. You know, it's obviously very easy to forget when you're staying at home that there are real people who are having to go to work every day and, and, you know, create these services for us. And instead of using, you know, big corporations that, you know, really don't need your dollars as much right now, maybe you should, you know, invest that into your local community to help them stay around a little bit longer. And I think that was something that was super inspiring to me because obviously I didn't have a business to, um, you know, really get in front of people at that time because we just had no way of, of, you know, uh, offering a service at the time because of the lockdown, but I was able to channel all of my energy and expertise into helping businesses that did have that opportunity, that did have that chance. And I think for me, it really, uh, as I said before, uh, with our GoFundMe, kind of helped pull me out of a dark place where it was just like everything was sort of despair and uncertainty and not knowing what was going to happen next. Well, now I have this opportunity to really highlight this beautiful district and show everybody um, the heart of it, which I think I, I hope I've accomplished. And I think that, you know, people... Definitely, really needed to see that positivity in their feed, you know, during a, a dark time. So I was happy to do it, and uh, certainly extremely grateful for the opportunity. And I still am. It's definitely given me something to uh, to focus on uh, during a, a negative time, and, and always be grateful for that.
0: Well, you do an excellent job as the social media person for Old Pasadena. I think. Thank you. Not only does Old Pasadena owe you a tremendous amount. But I think Pasadena as a whole, because Pasadena, Old Pasadena, is such a driver for our, our city that our entire city owes you a lot. So uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. It means a lot to all of us. Unlike our neighbors in Glendale and Burbank and Arcadia, you know, we don't have a huge mall anymore. Pasadena used to have a mall that's kind of been deconstructed now, but we do have a lot of great retail areas. Old Pasadena, obviously one, Playhouse Village. South Lake Avenue, and then obviously East Pasadena. What do you think makes old Pasadena such a special destination being someone that has a business there and someone that is so involved in the social media of the area? You know, what, what do you think kind of uh, makes it a very special place to go to?
1: Oh gosh, there's so many things. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, it's Certainly, the diversity of businesses that are there. I think, like, if there's anything that you want or need, you can find it in Old Pasadena. And that's obviously, like, a huge driver for many people. You know, certainly historically, I think that, um, obviously, in the era that I grew up in, um, you know, when I was in junior high and high school in the 90s, I mean, I can remember, like, Old Pasadena was like the place to be. Um, And I think it still is that way, Um, you know, but I think one of the other things that really is a draw is certainly the historical, I think, nature of the district, the fact that there has been so much of history preserved, you know, in the buildings in, um, you know, just kind of the beauty of the architecture that's around. I mean, you can take a stroll down Colorado Boulevard or any of our other streets and, you know, just find so many cool mementos from the past, which I think is something that, you know, obviously in Southern California is not a very common thing. So I think that kind of care and attention to preserving the history, you know, certainly helped with, you know, beautifying the area and making it special and unique. And then certainly during the pandemic, I mean, it's a 22 block outdoor space. I think that's one of the things that separates us from a huge mall and you know certainly right now with safety you know being something that is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds um you know being able to park somewhere and you know walk to go around and shopping sure you have to go indoors to you know to purchase things or whatnot but it's something that you can do in a much safer fashion um than i think you can in an indoor mall so that's one of the things that really separates us i would say right now especially is just the um all of the attention to safety with the fact that there is you know this outdoor space to explore and enjoy and you know certainly all of the restaurants that have spent you know a lot of time and effort and money into building out their beautiful al fresco dining spaces is you know a huge draw. You know I saw an Eater LA article recently that said that it's a great time uh, you know to dine in Pasadena and that basically Pasadena is the new hotspot for dining in Los Angeles. And I really couldn't agree more. I think that there are there is so much effort that we've seen on the part of our restaurant owners that has separated us from many areas of, of Los Angeles and, and just helped us really create I would say a sense of normalcy and a sense of, you know, just kind of socialization that everyone really needed. Eating um, is certainly a essential activity that many people did. And I think once we were able to reopen it in the summer of last year, it really kind of helped some people who were able to just get out and enjoy, you know, being outdoors and being away from home for even just a little bit to do something like enjoy a a nice meal in a nice area. And I think that's something that has really benefited the district a a lot um, during this time for sure. With the time that we have left, so much has changed in the last year. So
0: much has changed in the last seven years since you started the business. Has your idea of success kind of changed? And what does it mean now to be successful?
1: Oh, gosh, that's, yes, absolutely. I feel like if I looked at what I thought success was a year ago, and when I look at it now, it's two completely different things. And I think that one of the kind of things I've had time to focus on during the pandemic is really just certainly the gratitude that I have for the people in my life and for their health and their safety. And, you know, definitely the really important things that like the priority, important priorities in life that I think sometimes took a sort of took a backseat to our focus on the business a lot Um, and not having the business to really focus on this past year has been something that was obviously very scary. Um, But it was also, you know, an opportunity that I had to really embrace, I think the smaller things in life and figure out what the priorities, you know, really should be. And like, even though you do put a lot of focus in business it's really important to focus on things like your family and you know your personal life and you know sometimes you do have to make time for those things even when you have a million things to do you really do have to like appreciate you know the things that are most important and and make carve out that time for them instead of just putting everything into you know your sole focus and for, as a business owner sometimes it's very difficult to remember that when you're in the throes of like trying to figure out how to keep all of the balls up in the air. And I think a lot of parents and, you know, I think a lot of people just for this past year can really relate to that. And, you know, yes, you have a lot going on, but like, it it is really important to stop and focus on the things that, you know, at the end of your life, you're going to remember a lot more than, you know, all of the tasks that you had to complete and you know, some random Tuesday. So, um, so I think that's something that definitely has, you know, has changed for us. And, And certainly, you know, I think there have been a lot of times this past year where I have, you know, second guess, like, what were we thinking? Like, you know, what, you know, who did we think we were that we could start this business and, you know, uh, survive anything? Um, You know, you can plan for a lot of things, but a pandemic is simply just, for me, it was not anywhere on my radar of something that I needed to plan for. But just kind of like, I think the accomplishment uh, that I feel in the community that we've built. You you mentioned that before, that that's something I I say a lot. and It is something that's extremely important to me. And I think it's because our business is more than just a place where people come and play video games. It really is something that, you know, we have gotten to know our customers. It's a place where we've really become a family with our employees. You know, our team is, you know, definitely uh, a huge part of our success and just Knowing what we created and knowing that even through all the struggles, it's still around a year and some months later to be available to us. There's no doubt in my mind that is a huge success. Even though we have this uphill battle to fight to kind of like claw our way back after the pandemic, I think... I still see it as a success that we built this beautiful, like special place and this amazing community that really wrapped their arms around us and said, you will make it through this. And that to me feels like a huge success, much more so than I felt, you know, prior to all of this. So so I'm really grateful for that. And um, I do feel successful, even though it has been a really tough year because we have that and hopefully we'll always have that.
0: Now, you've announced that the arcade is reopening next month in June. Do you have an official opening date?
1: Yes, and I will I can be the first to know. You'll be the first to know the actual date because we haven't officially announced it. We keep saying mid-June because we're like, you never know what's going to happen with all this stuff. But it does feel so much more positive now. Um, and so it does feel like we feel confident enough to say that the... Um, Actual arcade will be open to the public officially on June 18th, so we are excited about that. Um, We are doing some kind of practice runs with private groups before then. Um, So we are kind of reaching out to our um, arcade community to let them know about that. Um, Some private spots for groups before then uh, will be available. And basically, the best way to kind of keep up to date with that is by following us on social media. So we're uh, Neon Retro Arcade on um, Instagram. And we also have a Facebook presence. And you can also find us online at uh, neonretroarcade.com.
0: So I understand that there's some renovations that are being made. What can customers expect from the new renovations or how is the shop a little bit different?
1: Um, Well, I think that was one of the things that we really struggled with um, during our downtime was like, you know, will we even make it through all this? Like, can we spend time to really build up the space a little bit more? Um, It's really difficult to do renovations on any public space. that's open seven days a week when you're um, you have to shut down and like you disappoint people. And, you know, it's really kind of a big to do. But after seven years, there are certainly things that we wanted to improve to the space. So definitely some aesthetic improvements. I want to like keep some of the the surprise element in there because I feel like you it's something you really have to see to understand. But I think the nostalgia factor has definitely been ticked up a notch, which is, I think, saying a lot from an arcade. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we're really excited about it. We have um, some new modern touches as well that I think will make just a good visual impact when people come into the space, but new games, you know, we obviously wanted to make sure that we were kind of spacing things out a little bit more just for safety and wanted to improve like our ventilation in the space. So like, that's not the really like fun things that people want to hear too much about, but I do think that, you know, people should know we wanted to spend enough time to make sure that we were not only coming back, um, you know, to be a cool place to visit again. We also wanted to be a safe place to visit again. Um that was something that really meant a lot to us. Like, you know, there were a lot of times when people said, why do you care what the rules are? Just open, you know, just do whatever. And it's just like that's not who we are as people. Community is important to us. Making sure people were safe um was very important to us throughout all of this. And it meant more to us than to make sure that people were safe than to open a business. And it was very hard to make that decision. We'll definitely, you know, are going to pay for that decision. And that's okay. um, Because we, we definitely, we stand by it because we, that's what we believe. And I think that, you know, businesses should, you know, always kind of stand by the decisions that they make, um, and that they should make decisions based on who they are as people, not just as businesses. So um, I feel comfortable with that. And I think that people we'll find that we were worth the wait and they'll be able to come back to a space that's safe and that they'll be able to enjoy with their family. and, And we're really looking forward to that.
0: So last two questions. What advice would you give someone that was thinking about starting a business?
1: Oh my gosh. I think more than anything, it's just, I think know like obviously who you are, what you're doing and like really be able to share your story with your community, like the people that who are going to be supporting your business. Um, I think that has really been the most kind of no matter what business you have, whether it's selling t shirts, or whether it's, you know, running an arcade or owning a restaurant, you know, businesses, especially small ones, don't just kind of appear out of thin air, there's a story behind them. And I think that consumers nowadays really appreciate hearing the story behind it, the process that goes into building the business, the process that goes into just building the products that they make. I mean, like restaurants in particular, I think of all the time because we have a lot in our district. Um, you know, there's just so many cool things that they're doing on a daily basis. Whether it's you know making things from scratch, certainly can't give out all the secret sauce, but you can definitely kind of give people a peek into the behind the scenes of a business. And I think that really just goes so far with consumers nowadays. So that's always something that I think when people People want to start a business, it's like, okay, that sounds awesome. Great. So like, where did the business come from? Like, how did that come about? Like, who are you as an individual? And how did you end up in this, in this type of industry? And I think those are really interesting things to know certainly going in. But yeah, do your research. That's always number one. First, like the number one thing that people always have to do before they open a business is just making sure that they know the ins and outs of what they're going to be going into. And there's all kinds of ways to figure that out, whether it's, you know, Kind of getting a job in that industry to figure out how it all works before you actually take the plunge. I think that's really important. Having that type of experience and knowing what you're doing um, before you go out and doing it on your own is really important. So, so yeah, those are the things that I would definitely say are, are good tips for people who are thinking about starting a business for sure.
0: So, my final question is: other than the Street Fighter II pinball machine that you kind of fell in love with, Mark over. What's your favorite game uh, at the arcade currently?
1: I want to steal Mark's joke. Whenever people ask him that, they always say he they always expect him to have some really like, you know, poignant answer about his favorite game. And he always says whatever's working at the moment (laughs) because arcade games, especially vintage arcade games, are a labor of love. They are, you know, 30, 40 years old. And it's amazing that they still run to this day. Um, They require a lot of repairs, a lot of maintenance. Um, You know, we talked about, you know, just renovations before and we do have renovations, but also just getting all these games back online after being, you know, it's just dormant for a year is, uh, is a lot of work. But um, when I think about my favorite game, it's definitely a pinball machine and it's, it's called Funhouse. It's like this, it's kind of a more obscure game, which is funny Uh, amongst pinball aficionados, they definitely know the game, but it's like this little, um, this little like ventriloquist doll head that's in the middle of the machine and he kind of like eggs people on throughout the game. It's so funny. Like he's got all these little like call outs, making fun of people as they're playing the game. And I just get a crack up out of it. So, um, so yeah, fun house is for sure my favorite game and uh street fighter Two Will always have a special place in my heart because it brought me to Mark and he is the most important thing in my life. And I'm very grateful for that pinball machine for sure.
0: Beautifully said because of all the work that you've done in old Pasadena, I think we all owe you because I think Old Pasadena is, I think the the heart and soul of Pasadena. It's what everyone thinks about when they think of Pasadena, and the fact that you bring life to it on social media, on Instagram, and you can tell those stories and a compelling story about big businesses, small businesses. I think it is wonderful, and I think that um, everyone in the city owes you a lot for all your work.
1: Thank you. That means so much to me. It really does. Because I think the feeling is is mutual. Like I definitely uh, love this city. And I think there are so many beautiful people and stories and businesses that exist in it. Um, You know, so many community members who just are incredible. And I think that the Honor is really mine to be able to showcase it, to show it in a different light, um, and I hope that you know it's it's the true way that people should see it because this is this is all like almost easy work for me because it's like this is this is who we are, and I think that that's one of the, the connections that people make to the pages right now is just seeing their city the way that they feel it and experience it. And I think that that has just been such a joy and such an honor. And I hope I get to do it for for as long as possible.
0: Neon Retro Arcade is located at 28 South Raymond Avenue in Old Pasadena. Please visit neonretroarcade.com and on social media, which you've already mentioned. Um, And we can announce that your reopening is on June 18th. So we're very excited about that. Mia, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I greatly appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And um, thank you. I really had a good time.
0: Again, my many thanks to Mia for coming on the show. If you're interested in learning more about Neon Retro Arcade, please visit neonretroarcade.com and follow them on social media for the latest news and reopening information. I will provide links on the episode description and notes on the show's website. I also wanted to thank this episode's executive producer Albert Thomas. I had joked with him that I would give him EP credit, and I'm following through on that promise. This is the Crown City podcast' tenth episode, a number that might not sound significant, but it is. More than a quarter of podcasts won't make it past a single episode, and only about thirty-five percent of podcasts make ten episodes or more. The reason why podcasts fade is varied. But the most likely answer is that it is not easy to create something and to keep it going. It takes a lot of time, dedication and gratitude. This show wouldn't exist without the endless love and support of my very understanding wife and tolerating children. So I dedicate Daddy's Silly Podcast to all of them. What makes this show so special is not me, but the guests I've had the absolute pleasure to meet and the lessons and stories they have shared. Only two episodes have featured guests I knew before the show. The majority of them had never heard of me or the show, and they took a leap of faith in talking to some guy in Pasadena with no formal production experience, but someone who is genuinely interested in our city, in them, and in learning about their lives and experiences. And for that, each and every guest has a very special place in my heart. So, to Terry, Julia, Nicole, Michael, Lynn, Yvette, Linda, Scott, Thelma, and Mia, thank you. And thank you for listening. If you're a business owner or community leader and want to share your story, please let me know as I'd love to learn more about you and have you on the show. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Breaker, and several other platforms. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show so that others can find it. I would love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at Podcast.com and follow me on Instagram at crowncitypodcast. You've been listening to The Crown City Podcast. And until next time, please remember to stay well, stay positive, and as always, see you around town.